Good morning. I'm Ewan Kerr sitting in for Angela Davis. Today we are talking about how the Minnesota theatre scene has survived the pandemic. I got a small hint the other evening when I visited the corner of Frogtown Park here in St. Paul. Lock the door! Turn the lights off! Stay down! We gotta get out of here. We can make it at that window and climb down and no, break well, the no, car. No, 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 we won't make no, it. No, we no, can't no, make it. Just, just run. Where did everyone go? Well, we're going to run. It's our only way. That was a rehearsal of part of Hopscotch, which Wanderlust Theatre will present at the Frogtown Park this weekend and at Newell Park next weekend. It's a collection of 10 plays, each 10 minutes or less, each written by local playwrights responding to the prompt, what would the future look like if we actually applied what we have been learning about ourselves and society? The idea is to have some fun, get people back into the habit of going to see a show, while also producing a little income for the writers and the 17 actors who will perform. This is how one company is coming back from the pandemic, which didn't just lower the curtain on Minnesota theatre, it may well have lowered the boom on some theatre companies. So we wanted to learn more about what's going on. Our, my guests today are directors of three local companies, Lily Tong Crystal from Theatre Moo, Kevin West from the Capri Theatre in North Minneapolis, and Joseph Hodge from the Guthrie Theatre. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Um, hi there. Hi there. So it's always fun. We're we're doing this remotely, folks. So you know, new skills we're learning today. <laughs> we've we've got a lot to get to today, but I wanted to start with a lightning round and ask each of you if you would. Now this is the challenge. In a single sentence, describe Minnesota's theater scene as it is right now. So let's start with Joe. One sentence. Um, uh, I'll, well, I'll give it in one word. I think reemerging. That's a good one. Okay, Kevin. The theater scene is hanging on. <laughs> Great, that's good. And Lily, how about you? I think this, the theater scene is reinventing itself and um, changing and reinventing itself. Great. Well done. You managed to do it. Thank you very much. Let's. We want to hear from the audience, though. Are you a theater-going gore? Did you enjoy any pandemic offerings from a local theater company over the last few months? Are you planning to go back to the theater if you weren't a theater goer before? What would it take to make you become one? Call us at 651-227-6000 or you can tweet me at Uncar. That's at E-U-A-N-K-E-R-R. Now, you know, I, I, I'd like to ask each of you how quarantine went, but I know that it's it's a huge question, and I'm not asking you to describe 18 months. So let's let, let maybe do it this way. Let's ask you each about a high point of quarantine. Lily, can we start with you? Sure. I mean, quarantine was so filled with both positives and negatives. I mean, of course, it was so such a time of grief um, and pain for so many people and especially for people in the performing arts industry when work really stopped in person. And um, I mean, I, you know, I think it, it was a matter of at theater move of, of doing what we could during the pandemic to continue to do artistic work, build community around the world and also um, employ our artists. And especially during this time where we're, you know, fighting against the rise of anti-Asian violence, because we are an, an Asian American theater company. And 
we did a lot of work during the pandemic readings, um, like a talk show with, with um, Asian American theater artists and also um, artistic work. <laughs> and one of the highlights I think was we did a, a fully produced um, virtual production. It was kind of like a live movie. It was like a live film theater where we, um, we did a, a fully designed production of Susan Soon, He Stanton's Today is My Birthday. That's the name of the play. And we had six actors across three different time zones, um, all performing live with, and the, we had like nine live cameras going at the same time with a streaming producer in, in Tennessee who was, um, who was taking all the, all the cameras live during wh- whichever relevant scene, like you, one would in an awards show or a, a live sports broadcast. Wow. And, and that was, um, that was, uh, you know, we were proud of the work and also we felt like it broke some, it broke into some innovative ways of doing theater virtually um, live and also as a way for, for us to employ not only actors, but dramaturgs, designers, um, stage managers, et cetera. And, uh, and, I, and I think it represents kind of what we were trying to do artistically during the pandemic hmm. at, at a time when there was so much grief in the community about not being able to do artistic work. Let me quickly turn to Kevin at the Capri Theater, which is you, – you present many different uh, performers there. What, what was the high point for you during the pandemic? videos about the new space i'm, I'm sorry I, you seem to be you seem to be breaking up here i think i'm gonna ask our engineers to see if we can get rian back with you um uh joe joe the high points for the guthrie yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about high points over the last uh, 18 months, but I think, um, uh, you know, we didn't want to, last holiday season would have been our 46th annual production of A Christmas Carol, and we didn't want to, we, we didn't, in the end, we just didn't want to not have some sort of offering for our community, and so we we took, uh, Dickens adapted his own novella for his own performances, and he uh, uh, put it in four staves or chapters, and he did his own reading performance of it, uh, you know, 200 years ago. And uh, we took that script, and with my colleague and friend E.G. Bailey, we uh, co-directed a film of that Christmas Carol. So we shot the actors one at a time. We were in the height of the pandemic, so we were all practically in hazmat suits and we shot the actors one at a time um, on the Guthrie stage and put together um, this version of a Christmas Carol, which was viewed by patrons from all 87 Minnesota counties, all 50 States, including Washington DC and the U S Virgin islands and 15 other countries. So, you know, some 150,000 plus K through 12 students were able to view it at no cost. So it felt good to be able to have an offering for our community during this terrible time. You know, I'm, I'm going to uh, get back to uh, Kevin in a moment. We've actually got a call, though, from Heidi in Bloomington, who, who kind of touches on this. Heidi, good morning. Tell us about your, your pandemic experience with the, the theater scene. Well, I am one that has severe allergies 
recent years that I haven't been able to go to in live performances for um, maybe five years. And so when the pandemic came along and offered up suddenly some in um, online um, opportunities, that was really exciting for me because I love theater and I love music. And so I just hope that going forward, whatever they do, they continue to think about that as being part of their offering because um, I really missed seeing um, live theater. Wonderful. Thank you for calling today. Let me, uh, let's quickly jump back to Kevin, though. Sorry about that, Kevin. What, what, what were the high points for you at the Capri? Well, you know, we just went through a major renovation and expansion. So while we were down, it gave us an opportunity to, you know, we created a video and invited community members in to talk about their visions of the space and how we can include them. You know, it gave us an opportunity to take a fresh look at our programming. And it also has given us an opportunity to learn the new technology that has come along with the new space because things have changed within the past year and a half that we've been down. So uh, it's been a blessing in a sense that it's given us an opportunity to prepare for reopening because, as you know, and you may not know, we're also uh, a contract alternative high school through Minneapolis. So we are trying to get everything in order to prepare for our students for prepare. I, th- I think that's one of the the, the great things about the, the theater scene here in in Minnesota is that most places have several strings to their bow, as it were. I mean, you're, you're functioning uh, in multiple ways and uh, really serving the communities in, in different ways. So, so let, let's just go back to that uh, question that, that Heidi brought up. I mean, that a lot of companies did turn to doing virtual performances. Um, and, you know, frankly, some of them were really good. Some of them weren't so great. <laughs> weren't so great. <laughs> Is, are, are these going to be uh, just part of the theater scene now? I mean, Lily, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? I didn't quite catch it. So the, the, the virtual performances have become, you know, a, a major part of theater performances over the last few months. Are, are they here to stay? I think so. I mean, you know, what, it, was, it was great to hear that caller's um, comment because I, I think, you know, at Moo, because we, um, we try to be as accessible to co- our communities as possible. And, um, one, you know, even before the pandemic, we had pay-as-you-are pricing so that anyone would come to any of our shows for as little as $5. And what the pandemic taught us was that through our virtual programming, we could reach people like the caller who could not make it to the theater, um, people who like Asian Americans who may not have an Asian American theater in their backyard, in their neighborhood, that they could actually have access to Asian American theater, even though they were in a, in a different market. Um, and, and our interest is to create theater that's radically accessible. And so we, we plan to continue um, doing, you know, virtual programming of some sort. And we also hope to, for instance, um, live stream or record our, our, our in-person production so that people can see them if they're not there in person, like it, they could, it, they could be broadcast virtually. So um, we, we are planning to continue, continue doing some work lot, you know, virtually, even though we, we want to get back to the theater in person, you know, just as much as anybody. And we feel like there's a space to do some hybrid models moving forward. 
We have a, a call, um, Ashlyn in Minneapolis, who I, I think has a slightly different view. Good morning, Ashlyn. What, what What are your thoughts? Hi, morning. So I just very much believe as both a performer um, and as an audience member um, that theater cannot thrive and it shouldn't thrive in the online uh, format. I think it's in the last few months we've had to support ourselves uh, working in that format. Although I think that intrigue will be found uh, in this art uh, more than before uh, due to it being something that should be and needs to be live. Thank you. Thank you. There, There is something, you know, to go back to that old adage that the roar of the grease paint and the smell of the crowd. I mean, the, um, the, there is something very special about being in a room with a group of people hearing that, that reaction. Um, Joe Hodge, the, you, you are preparing for a full season. Um, are you, and you have a lot of, you know, let's be frank, a lot of seats to fill. <laughs> How confident are you that people are going to be coming back. Yeah, I don't, you know, confidence, I guess, is beside the point. You know, several, a couple of months ago, we were, um, we were hoping for uh, a fall and winter that looks different than I think we're going to be entering. I think we're, we're entering an uncertain fall and winter. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be a light switch. I think it's going to be a path towards filling those large auditoriums, as you have said. Um, but we have a lot of folks who are, who are ready and able to come back and, and we are mandating vaccines for audiences. We want them to feel uh, uh, maximally safe in, uh, uh, among one another and uh, we'll have masking requirements as well or, or a recent um, COVID test to allow admittance. Um, uh, I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a path. I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to take folks a while to be, uh, to be comfortable again. And I, I take the caller's point that, you know, the, the, the nature of our art form itself is about gathering as community. And so I think there are a lot of folks who are really, really eager to get back to that. And uh, we'll go into live performances beginning previews at the end of September. Um, and, you know, we'll see how we do. We have Thomas on the line from Minneapolis. Uh, Thomas, you're a, you're a, a theater lover. Are, are you ready to go back? Absolutely. I, um, I just have a, one question, maybe possibly two, about local theater. Um, I love going to... Ordway and the Guthrie. Those are my first two choices, just because of the professionalism of the musicians and stuff. But I love community theater. And my question is, um, I'm walking around like Harriet as I speak, so if I sound out of breath, you know why. Um, I went to see at Southwest High School, the school put on the play um, Le Mis. And I've seen Le Mis professionally about half a dozen times to include the West End in London. And I have to say that that play Southwest put on was so good. And knowing that it was students, I cried at the end. I cry at the end of 
La Miz at every production, but for, for teenagers, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, to put on something that good, uh, it was amazing. And, and then, the worst part, this is my question, um, they only put on three shows. Each one was sold out. I was lucky to be allowed to see the standing room, get standing room. And I know it's uncles and aunts and grandparents buying up all the tickets, right? Why are there restrictions for local communities? Can't they let it roll until it's not sold out? I, uh, that's a very good question, although I have a feeling it's probably they need the the space in those uh, student or those school auditoriums. But uh, thank you. I mean, I there are. I must admit, it's been my experience that. Uh, Student productions, there are a few more passionate than than those those particular shows. But um, the and I wanted to ask um, the, all of you. I mean, the the Guthrie has got the this uh, vaccine mandate now in place. I'm hearing other uh, organizations, artistic organizations, are, are doing this. Is is this just going to become an industry standard? Do you think? And um, Kevin, I'm curious. Are, I mean, are you at the Capri? Are you going to be requiring vaccinations? Well, the thing about the Capri, we are a rental venue, so we are consulting with you know experts and our partners on what their COVID policies and procedures are going to be. Uh, for instance, we have a relationship with St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. You know, we have a first Thursday films with the you know Minnesota. St. Paul International Film Festival. So we're consulting with them right now as we go forward with programming. And we're also having these conversations within our own team within the Capri. So we're not quite open yet. We don't open until October. So we're taking time to really thoroughly think this out and make sure that we're making the right decisions to not only protect ourselves, but to protect our audiences, protect our youth, protect our audience, our artists. So we're still in conversations right now as what we're going to do. Okay, uh, Lily Tongue Crystal, uh, Theater Moo, what what are your thoughts on the vaccine? Um, it does seem like in talking to other theater companies that there is a standard policy that's that people are putting in place uh, after discussions amongst all the theater leaders. You know, we don't we're an itinerant company, so we um, don't have our own venue, so we will be, um, you know, we will be talking to the places where we are doing our pieces and, and abiding by their policies in terms of COVID um, safety and, and policy and vaccinations. Also, we are going in person. Our next season, we just announced our next season and the first part of the season is still virtual. We're, we're going back in person in February, in January, February. So we also have some time to um, see how the next few months go and, and, um, learn from others and uh, follow the policies of the spaces that we're in. We are talking about the Minnesota theater today and uh, the what what's happening to Minnesota theaters because of the pandemic. Uh, we'd love to hear from you to be part of this conversation, particularly if you are outside the metro area. What's happening to the theaters in your town? Give us a call, 651-227-6000, or you can tweet me at Ewan Kerr, that is at E-U-A-N-K-E-R-R. Don't blame me. Blame my, my parents. Um, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'll be going off to the news in a, a couple of moments here. But um, the 
Uh, one one question I had is about the audiences of the future, because clearly one uh, an, an effort which uh, many theaters are involved in is bringing in youngsters with the idea of no, get them in young, make them love the theater, and then have them coming back year after year. Um, has the the pandemic had an impact on that? I mean, obviously, uh, Joe Hodge there at the Guthrie, the um, the Christmas Carol has been an entryway for many, many, many people into theater going. You had the uh, you had this film, the the Dickens Christmas uh, spectacular, and um, that which was you then allowed you gave to schools for free. I mean, how? How confident were you that that will pull people in? Yeah, you know, our, our Christmas Carol in any given year at the Guthrie, um, it's an extraordinary sort of gateway experience into live performance in the theater for many. You know, we uh, uh, some 40% of our audience for Christmas Carol every year, even though it's a tradition and people bring their kids and now their grandkids because it's been on for so many, many, many years, making refreshed productions every eight or 10 years or so. Um, uh, you know, the, some 40% of our audiences in every year are brand new to the Guthrie. It's the first time our threshold. And we know that some of the barriers to entry for the theater, some of them, of course, have to do with costs. Once you've come to a place before, you know it, and you've had a reasonably good time, uh, you're more likely to be able to come again. So not just for, for young people, um, uh, but for grown folks as well, uh, you know, Christmas Carol is is a kind of gateway. And one of the things that the field has learned over the years is, uh, you know, if you if you introduce young people to the theater, um, it, it's not that you're going to have them continuously. So what the field has learned is if if you expose young people to the theater. What they do is, you know, they get to their they get to their twenties, they get out of high school, they go to college, and they go away from us for a time. You know, they're 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 deep in their study, they're deep in their early professional career, they're starting families. Any of us who have kids know, you know, when you have young kids, you don't do anything, you can't do anything. Um, but those people will come back. A lot of those folks come back to us in their in their forties and fifties, and then they're they're theater goers for the rest of their lives. Um, so, you know, I think the field has reconciled itself that folks go away for a while. There's, there, there are other things that, that need to be done. Um, but then they come back and they're with us till through, through end of life, which is extraordinary. What the field also knows is if you don't expose young people to the theater, there are very few 40 year olds you can come to for the first time who've never been in a theater before and say, come to the theater and we think you'll love it. So the field makes tremendous investment in young folks with the foreknowledge that they're going to go away for a time. Um, uh, but then they do come back. And uh, and I think the Twin Cities is such a great example of that. You know, you have one of the best children's theater is uh, in the country in this town. You have young people who are exposed to theater early through many of our um, our, our arts organizations, and uh, and so you have an adult community that visits the some eighty not-for-profit theaters in the Twin Cities. It's an extraordinary theatrical landscape. 
We are talking about Minnesota theater uh, this hour. We have uh, with us today Joseph Hodge, who's the artistic director of the Guthrie Theater, Lily Tongue Crystal, the artistic director of Theater Moo, and Kevin West, who is the general manager and artistic associate at the Capri Theater. Let's go to another rehearsal. Waiting that I was and a little tiny boy with a hey ho. The wind and the rain, a foolish thing was a, but a toy. For the rain, it raineth every day. So the date was February 2020, and the show being rehearsed was no doubt near and dear to Joe Hodge's heart. Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, a Guthrie production which featured a host of local Minnesota actors. The voices we just heard were Laverne Seifert and Jim Lichtscheidel. So we have a lot of people on the line, and uh, I wanted to go to Audra in uh, Moorhead, who uh, is calling in about uh, the... Her her love and challenges, I suppose, with the theater scene. Good morning, Audra. Um, so I was I've been raised in the theater. I've been acting in the theater since I was seven years old, and it's always been an important part of my identity and who I am. And I struggled a little bit actually with the comments that were recently made um, by your guests because. I right now am one of those people that they said, you know, they kind of recognize don't come to the theater for a while. And I think that's hard because it has at times felt like I've been written off. I have young children and I live in outstate Minnesota. And so when I want to come to something like the Guthrie or the Ordway, I don't have the position to be a season ticket holder. Um, and by the time that they're released to the general public, oftentimes the only seats available are weekdays or obstructed view. And if we're going to come to the theater, it's a big investment. Um, so one of the best things that has happened in the pandemic has been the access to virtual theater. I've been able to foster my kids' love of theater through things that are virtual. Um, and I do sometimes worry that we'll continue to be written off as things reopen because we're at this stage in life, even though it is, in fact, really important to us. Thank you very much, Audra, calling in from Moorhead. Well, that's a, it's a, an interesting question there. I mean, Joe Hodge, she mentioned the Guthrie. Um, there, there, I, I know that there's, there is a big effort at the theater to reach out to people in Audra's uh, position, but um, clearly uh, she, she believes there needs to be more. Yeah, I really appreciate Audra's point. And, um, and I really think that, you know, what we have learned in this virtual programming universe that we were all rather forced into over the last 18 months, um, I, you know, I don't think it's a replacement for live theater. And I, I'm certain Audra's not saying that it is. But if you look at that through the lens of access, I think that's the part of this virtual world that is here to stay. You know, there are folks who can't get to us for geographic reasons. There are folks who can't uh, get to us for 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 uh, for any number any number of reasons. Can't come to the Guthrie to see a show, and it could be somebody who no longer drives at nighttime, as well as uh, as well as anyone else. So I think the idea of of 
maintaining some level of virtual programming as seen through the lens of access, allowing opportunity for those who uh, who can't get to us for any for one reason or another. I think that portion is is here to stay. I really do. Uh, Lily, um, Kevin, do you have any thoughts on on the accessibility issue? Well, yes. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Well, I would have to agree. I think it does offer access. It offers access to, to audiences that can't get there for whatever reason. But it also offers access for artists. You know, I'm also an, an, a working actor. And the more notoriety, well, not notoriety, the more exposure you can get as far as working on your crafts gives you more opportunity to work in other places. So I think it's here to stay. I think it's a good thing. Uh, but I also understand what the caller is saying, and I do love the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd, as you said, Ewan, and those are the things that we need to continue because that feeds the spirit. And we know when we come together collectively and experience something like a play, we leave better. We leave better, you know, and you can take that whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We're all touched collectively and we're able to go our separate ways and take that energy with us. And Lily at the Theater Move? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Kevin and, and Joe, you know, we all want to be in person. And like I said before, our, our interest at Theatre Moo is to make theatre as radically accessible as possible. And so um, we, we, we're trying, you know, we want the best of both worlds. We, we're going to go back in in-person theatre and we're wanting to live stream our in-person productions so that people who can't get to the theatre, like The Caller, or um, Asian Americans who don't have, you know, who are farther away from us, who don't have access to Asian American theater can still come and see the theater virtually. Um, so, you know, that's, that's at Moo, it's one of our priorities to make the work as accessible as possible. Yeah, you know, I, 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 something caught my eye the other day. The, the Jungle Theater in Minneapolis just announced uh, its, its season. And, but one of the things they also announced is that they are having what they're call, calling pay as you are, which is kind of a, a sliding scale thing for tickets. Now, this has long been a part of uh, Mixed Blood, uh, which is, has radical hospitality, where basically all seats are free it's first come first serve but you can reserve a seat for in half the theater so if you really want to go on a particular night you can buy a ticket but otherwise it it's people who are at the door just before the beginning of the the show but at uh the jungle they're doing it that they're asking people who can pay $45 for a ticket to pay $45 and then other people help cover the cost of other people who can't afford that much. I mean, the, it's, it's also well known that the, the price of tickets rarely actually cover the full cost of a show and you need other supports. I mean, is, is the ticketing are, – are we going to see changes in ticketing like this becoming more common? I mean, Lily, at Theatre Moo, is, is this something you, you talk about? Yes. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, we, we actually are, you know, part of the Jungle Theater's um, rollout of the Pay As You Are program is on the, sh on the show that we're co-producing with them this season called uh, Cambodian Rock Band. I forgot Lonely. about that. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. <laughs> and, so, and so that Pay As You Are program kind of came up in discussion with us because we've been doing Pay As You Are for years where um, it's the same model where you can come for as little as $5 to any, and you don't have to wait in line or anything for a ticket. You just, it, when the tickets are released, you can, you can get a ticket for five, as low as $5. And we call it pay as you are so that 
we ask that if you're, you know, if you're used to paying full price for a ticket, like say it's $45 for, for market value, if you're used to paying that much, then um, we ask, you know, we welcome that, that, um, that payment for a ticket. But if you can't, if you can't pay, you know, 45, 35, 25, and you, and you can come for as low as $5. So, um, so that, so we've, we've been, we've been doing pay as you are for many years already. And we found that we didn't lose income um, because people who could pay $45 paid $45 and the people who couldn't paid less. And it's a way for us. I mean, we, we instigated it because, you know, we, we represent um, Asian American communities, a, a large diaspora where um, theater may not be the, the, uh, the norm for people to go see. And, um, and they're, there, uh, there are many um, immigrant and refugee families in our in our diaspora um, who may, may not have the means to come to the theater, and so we wanted to make theater as accessible as possible. Like I said, we're interested in in um, radical accessibility, so so that's why we instigated Pay as You Are, and and um, we're thrilled that we're doing that f- with our production um, with the Jungle Cambodian Rock Band. Of course, uh, Theater Mood did that marvelous uh, restaurant tour a few years right. ago where you took a, took a production into Chinese restaurants around the, the state and got into a, a whole new audience, I think, from right. what I understand. Um, Kevin West at uh, at the Capri, are, are you talking about ticket prices? Well, you know, again, we are a rental venue, but we also present uh, some of our own programming. And for instance, like our relationship with SPCO, uh, you can call in or sign up for tickets and they're open and free for on a first come first serve basis. Uh, our first Thursday films, there are ways to get complimentary tickets for that if possible. Uh, you know, we have the Capri after school theater, our Camp Capri summer programming, our Capri Glee, adult community choir, all these programs, all these as Lily said, accessibility is very, very important to us at the Capri or in one part of the city, but we want the entire region to know that the Capri is a destination spot and open open and welcoming to all. So uh, accessibility is a word that comes up in our meetings a lot, and we want to make sure that people know that if they contact us, we will make a way for them to come in and witness Thank you. We are talking about the state of uh, the Minnesota theater scene post-pandemic. We have a full bank of phones. Uh, we also have an answer. Kayla in Alexandria called in. Uh, someone asked about why don't high school uh, shows run longer? Uh, good morning, Kayla. Good morning. Hi. Hi. So what's the yeah. answer? <laughs> so I've been the assistant director for the um, Alexandria area high school uh, musicals for the past nine years, and it's there's a lot of factors that go into it. One is budget. Um, you have to pay royalties for every performance. So if your school has a small budget, you can only do a certain number of performances. Um, scheduling, a lot of it has to do with what's available at your performance venue. So it, a lot of it comes down to money. So mm-hmm. if you're complaining about your ticket prices at your high school show... Um, that is covering all of the production costs, but maybe not even all of it. So, but as I have you on the line, let me ask you uh, another question: the 
you you missed a year of performances. I mean, how was that for the the students who all the, all those theater students, those drama students who were desperate to get on stage? So <laughs> that's a funny story. I actually stopped directing the year of the pandemic because um, I had a baby. So well, congratulations. Sure Thank you. I'm sure it was tough for the students. I know a lot of them missed it. Um, I, there were some smaller productions that happened later on, um, you know, the year after. Last year, there were a few smaller productions, but um, it was very different. And I know a lot of those kids really missed it and missed out on, you know, their senior year musical, which is usually a big deal. Thank you very much for, for calling in today. Um, John is on the line from Stillwater. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, I, I appreciated the comments from Joe and the others about the accessibility angle. And uh, I've worked with people with disabilities getting into theaters for many years. And the issue, making theater a barrier to many people is typically attitudes. The attitudes that, oh, they don't really need those services. Um, it's the same with COVID. Attitudes of people who haven't been vaccinated, keeping the rest of us away from theater because... Hello? John, you still there? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. In the last month, I've been to four shows. Three of them were outdoors. And um, I was worried at each one because there were so many people. And what kind of a super spreader was that? Uh, on Sunday, I went to an indoor show that was spaced, and it was wonderful. And uh, in a couple of weeks, there will be a state festival in Pipestone. And that will be, uh, people will be spaced around the theater, socially distanced. There will be audio description for people who are blind. And uh, we're trying to do the COVID protocols that are going around. I don't know if we'll have the one that says you must have vaccination proof, but I would certainly support that. And I really appreciate the theaters that are saying you must be vaccinated if you're going to see our show. Otherwise, you're not safe for the rest of us. Well, thank you for calling in today, John. We we have Vince in St. Paul on the line, too, who I think has a different view on that. Uh, hello, Vince. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I, I guess I'm on the flip side of that. Uh, uh, religious purposes, I, I can't put anything uh, synthetic in my blood. Uh, so I take it, I, I guess I'm, the theater, theater is uh, no longer for me, I take it. Uh, and, and, I mean, have you been taking, have you been watching the virtual shows or? Well, that's the same thing. To me, that's the same thing as watching television. You, 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 you don't get to sit down with people around you. Uh, you don't get to, uh, the, it's not, a, it's just the same thing as uh, watching the late show or something like that by yourself. And that's, that's not healthy. So I, I like to be out in the, I like to be out in the public and watching the talent and, and smelling the, uh, the air and the atmosphere of the, of the live play. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in today. Uh, the uh, we ha we have a whole lot of people on the line here, and I'm just wondering, um, could we uh, let's see? Uh, oh, Karen in Madison uh, is working as with a, a small community theater. Um, tell us about what you've been doing. 
Oh, we've lo- we've lost Karen. Okay. Well, um, I let actually we, we have one question here, which is actually specifically for Joe Hodge, and um, I think it's a question that many people are, are wondering about. Um, Michael in Minneapolis, are you still there? You still with us? You've been hanging on for Hello? quite a while. Hello, Michael. Hi. Okay. Yes, we're still there. I'm I'm calling about uh, the employees. Uh, You know, I know that Guthrie Theater is the leader in town, and a lot of their employees have been asked to reapply for their existing jobs that were laid off before COVID. Um, And some of them are even back returning in an interim role, having to reapply for the jobs that are currently serving them. Um, How does that speak to the accessibility and, and you know, as a leader in the city, a, a way to treat the people that are helping put on these productions. Joe Hodge, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, we, you know, the, uh, when we reduced our staff so substantially, uh, you know, we received a PPP loan, which allowed us to keep everyone uh, on and benefited for some three months into the pandemic with the support of that loan. And after that, when we knew, when it was clear that we weren't going to be back to producing for the foreseeable future, we had to make the terrible decisions uh, to let a lot of folks go. So they were, they were not on layoff, they were released from the organization altogether, which allowed them to file for unemployment insurance, uh, et cetera, during that time. So now as we're in this huge organizational rebuild, um, you know, we're also looking at, you know, we were, what, three months to two and a half months into the pandemic when George Floyd was killed. Um, and that murder, uh, you know, created a, a, you know, which happened in our cities, the epicenter of uh, a, a gl- global protest so significant that they knocked a 100 year pandemic off the headlines. And our theaters have a responsibility to respond to that moment as well. And if the Guthrie returns to full staff and the demography of our organization looks precisely like what it looked like prior to the pandemic, I think that will have been a failure. So we are searching all of our positions and we're doing that as equitably as possible, ensuring that we have diverse candidates at every step of the hiring process. And, um, you know, we will be back to we will be back to full strength at some point. We're all rebuilding. Uh, You know, who knows how long it's all going to take for us to be back to that full strength. Um, There are many, many people who worked at the Guthrie formerly who will come back to the Guthrie. Many have moved on to other lines, other work, other theaters, um, moved out of discipline altogether. Uh, And we want to offer a sense of invitation uh, to other folks to be able to apply for these jobs. So that's the decision that the Guthrie has taken. We we have, uh, I want to turn to Hava in St. Paul, and she actually is kind of talking about an issue I was wondering about. I, I remember speaking to Wendy Knox at Frank Theatre a number of years ago, talking about how a lot of theatre companies, theatre organizations are small enough that they can go, as she put it, dormant uh, during times of crisis and um, they are now, but but there's also the question of some of them go so dormant they never come back. But Hava, uh, you are with the Victoria Theatre Arts Centre on University in Dale. 
That's correct. I'm their communications coordinator. And um, beyond that, I also do my own self-producing. And I just wanted to add to the conversation that a huge piece of the work we've been doing at the Victoria actually really leads into what Joe was saying. And that is the pandemic was not just the pandemic. It was also George Floyd's murder. It was a whole lot of different upheaval going on. And part of our mission at the Victoria Theatre Arts Centre is to empower the artists in our community of Frogtown and Rondo. So even though we were not doing theater productions during this whole time, we helped organize over 60 murals along um, University Avenue. We created a community trauma response program that we held outdoors to facilitate, you know, gathering and grief. So I just would like to add to the conversation that I think a lot of these smaller mid-level companies, and from our perspective, certainly, are working to do more community outreach and engagement in that way to build that sense of connection rather than the model of just being in a performance mode. And I think we hope to continue this into the future, that this doesn't just go away, that we are deeply rooted and invested in our communities. Thank you, Hava. Thank you. I mean, clearly, there is a, a theatrical ecosystem here in Minnesota, which stretches out across the entire state. And that uh, ecosystem has been deeply affected by what has happened over the last few uh, months. I'm wondering about how much damage, as in permanent damage, each of you think uh, has happened and how long it's going to take to come back from that. Could Could maybe... Uh, could we start with you, Kevin West, at, uh, at the Capri? I mean, what, what, is, what is the damage? Can we come back? Uh, I think resiliency is we are social. Kevin, we're, we're having a little problem hearing you. We'll come back. We'll come back to you in a moment here. Um, Lily, Lily, theater move. What's what's your what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, I th- we're really grateful that we um, weathered the pandemic fairly well because of the support of our community and our funders, our artists, um, donors, etc., our audiences. And so, I, I think Kevin mentioned the word resilience, and I feel like the theater industry is is definitely resilient and. Um, and there, and it's been it's been challenging. I mean, I think it's it's both and it's been challenging, and um, the theater community in general is resilient. Um, you know, surviving through the pandemic as well as the racial reckoning that's occurring in our industry and across the country. So I, um, I think you know the our survival and continuing to move forward is thanks to. Um, you know, the, the entire community, like the staff, the board, the, the audiences, funders, donors, et cetera, like I mentioned. And um, if, if that community is strong, then we will continue to do art and, and create work. Um, and and I, I, I just wanted to, you know, riff off of what, what or comment on what, Kev, what I heard Kevin mm-hmm. say about resilience, because I think that there, there has been a lot of pain and, and, and theaters probably there may, there may be, you know, theater is a hard industry in general. And at all times, I think there are um, theaters who close and I'm hoping, and it's hard for me to know now, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't know 
um, who will survive and who won't. But I, I think that um, with the resilience and support of the community, theater can survive. I am really sorry. We have run out of time. Thank you to our guests here. Uh, we have Lily Tung Crystal from the Theatre Moo, Kevin West from the Capri Theatre, and Joseph Hodge from the Guthrie Theatre. Thank you all, and the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ewan. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. You can hear Mike Mulcahy, Ewan Kerr, Catherine Richard, and other guest hosts during a live call-in show at 9 a.m. weekdays throughout the month of August. Looking for Carrie Miller? She's back talking about books and ideas at 11 a.m. every Friday starting September 10th. Thanks for listening.